Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kramer from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. And with me today is Clinton Fernandez, who is here on campus with us as part of our Politics in Action um, event. And he will be talking to us today about the country of Timor-Leste. Hi, Clinton. Thanks for being here. Uh, hi, thank you for having me. Okay, so before we begin, would you just be able to give us a little bit of background about yourself? Um, um, I am uh, an academic at the University of New South Wales in Canberra, the Canberra campus. Uh, I teach in the School of Humanities and Social Sciences. I have a, another appointment at the Centre for Cybersecurity as well, which is unconnected to this interview. Uh, excellent. And you've been um, researching or interested in Timor-Leste for quite some time now. Yeah, I've had an interest in Timor uh, for about uh, 20 years, uh, but my focus has usually been on Australia's relations with Timor rather than on Timor itself. Um, that said, um, I, I am familiar with the place. Excellent. So I'm going to jump into my first question here. Uh, there was an election in May 2018, so last year, about one year ago. Can you tell us a little bit about the outcome of that election and how it shapes configurations of power in Timor-Leste's current government? Sure. Okay, uh, that election uh, was an unscheduled election. Uh, the, there was an election uh, in 2017. Uh, it begins with the presidential election uh, in uh, March 2017, and uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Luolo, whose uh, last name is Guterres, uh, uh, won the presidency uh, with 57% of the vote. Now, he'd received the support of uh, a number of parties in Timor, which is why he won the presidency. So some months later, when they had the parliamentary elections in July 2017, uh, Fretland, uh, the it narrowly squeaked in as uh, the leading party. Uh, it won 29.7% of the vote, uh, just ahead of the National Congress for Timorese Reconstruction, which was 29.5% of the vote. There would have been only a thousand votes in it. Um, so and it's so, very close. Yeah, and there were other parties as well, like the People's Liberation Party, the Democratic Party, and some other small, minor, you know, minor parties. Uh, Fratlin, although it had just gotten um, under 30% of the vote, uh, nevertheless attempted to form government. That was its right. Um, mm -hmm. The most voted party, the party that receives the most votes, um, uh, has the right to try to form government. And so uh, Fratlin tried to get into a coalition with some of the minor parties. Uh, there were disputes about who gets some of the plum positions. Um, and when you say plum positions... The, the president of the National Parliament is okay. a plum position. Right. Um, the Prime Minister of, uh, of the Democratic Republic of Timor-Leste is a plum position. Mm -hmm. Now, the presidency of the Republic itself had already been won by Luolo Guterres, who we mentioned earlier, um, and um, he's a member of Fretland. And mm -hmm. so the other parties said, well, we'd like uh, some of these other plum positions. Um, and the... the, the, the Refusal to get into coalitions with Fredlin were based, uh, to a certain extent, around um, the spoils of victory, rather than major disagreements with the policy program. Right. Uh, um, and uh, when uh, uh, they couldn't get what they wanted, and there were more issues, but I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, simplifying it to a certain extent. Um, the the parties uh, decided they were going to be in opposition, and so Fretland was unable to pass its budget. It uh, retained government, but couldn't get its budget through. Uh, under the Constitution, if it had failed in its attempt to get its budget through a second time, it would have been out of office. Uh, and so it refused to call the Parliament. 
Right. Um, and, uh, so hence the election. Hence the new election in 2018. Okay, so in that election, the National Congress for Timorese Reconstruction won handsomely. Uh, Fretland right. retained uh, its, uh, its seats and its power. Uh, but uh, that party had managed to get uh, other parties in coalition, um, and then they began to uh, form government. However, certain policies, certain laws, uh, which affect um, the petroleum fund, uh, sovereign wealth fund, and other things, need uh, a supermajority um, in the parliament. And because Fretland has enough seats to block a supermajority, what you have is essentially uh, a policy stasis, a stalemate which has been going since 2017. Right, and that policy stalemate doesn't look like it will be abating anytime soon? Uh, no, I, I think um, uh, ultimately there will have to be some kind of negotiations and greater transparency. And this really ties into the, uh, uh, the budgetary priorities of the government. Um, there are disagreements between the parties as to uh, where the priority of spending should be. Should it be on major infrastructure projects? Uh, or should it be on health and education? And which parties are supporting which of those policies? Well, the, the National Congress of Timorese Reconstruction um, wants major infrastructure. They right. want to build uh, a petroleum uh, processing plant uh, with liquefied natural gas on the south coast of Timor. Uh, and for that, they need major infrastructure with uh, highways and refineries and so on. Uh, the People's Liberation Party uh, was actually an opponent of major projects. They wanted more money spent on health and education. Uh, but they seem to have dropped that and are now on board with, with infrastructure and the leader of the People's Liberation Party is now the Prime Minister. Uh, right. So it looks like um, either he knows something uh, about that's really important that might be lying underneath the, uh, the waters of Timor, which might actually be a significant bonanza, which is why he's supporting major infrastructure, or it might be simply the price of becoming Prime Minister. Right. And where's Fretlin in this? Uh, is now in opposition. Okay. Uh, Fretland is in opposition. Uh, they call for greater scrutiny, greater transparency, um, but um, obviously they don't have the numbers. To, to enact policy? Yeah, to push well, they're in opposition, and, and, and the National Congress of Timorese Reconstruction is uh, obviously in government. It's just that it can't do certain things uh, that require a supermajority. Right. Um, you've talked about Timor-Leste as being a semi-presidential system. So when you say that, what do you and what, how does that influence um, the government at the moment? Okay, uh, semi-presidentialism is uh, a cross between parliamentary democracy and presidential democracy. A presidential democracy, classic example, is uh, the United States where the president is not in the Congress and the president can appoint whoever he or she wants um, as Secretary of State, Defense, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in a parliamentary system, of course, like in Australia, um, all uh, ministers have to actually be in parliament. Uh, parliamentarians. A semi-presidential uh, system um, is something that involves the president himself or herself uh, being elected directly by a national vote. And that's what the current president uh, has. He right. is voted by the people as a whole. Whereas the parliament, uh, the parliamentary elections, uh, um, are based on party lists and uh, people vote for a party. Every third person on that list has to be a woman. Uh, and it is inside Parliament uh, that uh, decisions are made about who becomes Prime Minister. Uh, the President has certain powers, um, but the system works if the President and the Prime Minister are working in harmony. Uh, otherwise, the President can simply intervene and refuse to, uh, to allow 
certain things to happen. For example, there is a requirement that all ministers uh, have to be uh, sworn in uh, by the president. Uh, and uh, the current president has refused to appoint uh, nine appointees uh, to the ministry uh, on grounds that they are under suspicion for uh, various acts, uh, you know, anti-corruption commission and a whole bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the president uh, of Timor is the president of a very new country. It doesn't actually have conventions uh, the way more uh, mature democracies have. So in a way, there is nothing to guide uh, precisely what role and what limits the president should have in a presidential, semi-presidential system like Timor Leste's. Uh, so it's still being worked out. The current, current president uh, appears to be uh, vetoing uh, certain appointments. Uh, it's not clear that he doesn't have the power to do that either. Right. And that must be very frustrating for if you're the, in the government, of course. In the government, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're in government, you, yeah. want your, you, you want your budget passed, you want your ministry approved, uh, and you basically want to get to work. Um, there is one precedent, I want to say, though. Uh, when the current prime minister uh, was uh, the president in the previous uh, parliament, in the previous government, can you uh, just remind us? Uh, his name is uh, his, name? His, uh, his his name his popular name is Taur Matan Ruak T A U R M A T A N R U A K. That is uh, uh, that means uh, two extra eyes. Uh, he's a guerrilla uh, fighter, somebody who is very good at reconnaissance and surveillance, and, and he's very observant. So right. that, that was the nickname given to him uh, when he was uh, a resistance fighter. Um, so when he was president, he vetoed. Uh, the appointment of a defense minister uh, on the grounds that uh, she was a woman and the, uh, uh, the Timor uh, military wouldn't uh, accept the leadership of a female defense minister. Um, and so uh, the, the precedent for not appointing uh, is not something that has been started by the current president. It has ante antecedents in the old president, who is now the prime minister, objecting to the, the vetoes. Mm -hmm. uh, the the, the the current president himself is a former guerrilla. I mean, that, that is really the test of legitimacy in Timor. Uh, a lot of these people have spent 24 years in uh, resistance, some of them in prisons, some of them in the mountains the entire time. Uh, and they're still working out what the convention actually is. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I'm, I'm interested, you mentioned just briefly that every third, uh, in an election, every third candidate has to be a woman right, on the party lists. On the party list. So think of the Australian Senate, where uh, you can stand uh, in proportional uh, representation, where uh, your constituency, if you're a Senate candidate, is the entire state. Right? Right. Uh, and so you'll have a number of parties that are running. You might have independents, but you'll have parties. Uh, and so different parties will, will show up on the electoral rolls. And uh, uh, every third candidate has to be a woman. And that uh, guarantees a very high re a proportion female representation in the Timor parliament. And that has genuinely translated into oh, high, yes. high representation? Well, yes, it, 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 that's, that's the law. Oh, yeah. One of the highest rates of female participation and simply mandated. And one of the things that happens is they, look, by, by being forced to put uh, women into these positions, every third position, at least, you could have it more often, but at least every third, um, it provides other people with the example of uh, female a patriarchal society, um, and um, many of them uh, have really matured in the rules and they are asking questions and demanding answers and things like that. Uh, overall, um, uh, I think that level of representation um, is probably unique in Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. uh, even in the Pacific, in, with which Timor also, uh, also shares certain similarities. 
and that certainly does tie into some of the debates that we're having in Australia about greater representation for women in right. politics. Right, on the conservative well. side of politics, right. They, 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 they seem to uh, reject uh, at the top level on ideological grounds. I mean, they're genuine, they genuinely believe in this. It is, uh, it is not, a, it is not a, uh, a fraud. I mean, they actually are personally convinced that we can't have quotas. On the other hand, there doesn't appear to be um, uh, any other solution. Um, and so we will see what happens in the next parliament. Mm. And can perhaps um, look at Timor-Leste as an example of Indeed. what the possibilities are. I just want to end our podcast because we're running out of time here mm-hmm. um, with my final question, which is about Greater Sunrise, which um, has affected Australia and Timor-Leste relations mm-hmm. it, uh, over the last few years. Um, so what do you see as being the key outstanding issues related to Greater Sunrise and what are the implications for Australia and Timor-Leste from now on? Okay. Uh, Greater Sunrise is being managed uh, by uh, a joint ventureship. Uh, okay. So the joint venture partners were uh, Woodside Petroleum, um, ConocoPhillips, uh, Royal Dutch Shell, um, and Osaka Gas, which had only 10%. It was a Japanese LNG company. Uh, what Timor has done is it's bought out the shares of uh, ConocoPhillips uh, and Royal Dutch Shell, and it is now uh, a major investor in its own right. It's the state of Timor. Uh, but the thing is, it uh, it is in negotiations with Woodside as to who is going to bear the expense of doing what. Uh, it is not the, the way it's been written. These contracts is it's essentially a, an argument or, or an agreement uh, or a discussion between the joint venture partners, which does not include the government of Australia, it includes Woodside. Now, Woodside enjoys the powerful support of the government of Australia, but essentially it is Woodside as a joint venture partner, along with the state of Timor as a joint venture partner, and of course Osaka Gas. Uh, the outstanding issues are, uh, what is to happen to this uh, liquefied natural gas? How is it going to be uh, extracted? And where is the pipeline, if there is to be a pipeline, where is the pipeline uh, going to go to? That, that's the essential uh, differences. Timor wants the gas pipe to the south coast of Timor. Uh, Which side, ties into the infrastructure, the infrastructure plan. They want plans. a pet- petrochemical industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Woodside wants a floating LNG plant, which is simply floating above the waters, and they extract it from there, and it's then put on tankers, and it's shipped off. Uh, and that appears to be the impasse. Well, that's all we have time for today. So thank you, uh, Clinton Fernandez, um, for your time. Thank you very much for having me.